Welcome to the LSI Behind the Wind podcast. For 50 years, the LSI team has dedicated themselves to the science of business development. We've seen the impact of our work and how it's evolved into economic development and now social impact work. I'm Lauren Lane, the Marketing and Communications Manager for LSI and one of the producers of this podcast. Thanks for joining us today. In this episode, Sean is joined by brothers Tom and Bob Dushin, the president and vice president of River Oaks Communications Corporation, a firm that specializes in broadband, cable television, and wireless and telecommunications projects. In this episode, they discuss updates regarding the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, BIL or IIJA, the broadband funding NOFOs that are due in a few days, and why states and organizations need to start acting now to get in on this once-in-a-generation federal funding. If you're a state entity or business organization who wants to get access to this funding, please email us at social at lsiwins.com. We'll link it in the show notes too. It is not too late to start working on these opportunities. We do not want you to miss out on this, so please reach out to us today. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you find this conversation useful for your team. Bob and Tom, I'm so Excited to have you on this episode and uh, been looking forward to this discussion with you. Uh, we've had a long relationship and I've uh, uh, done some exciting things historically. Uh, before we talk about some of the topics that I want to get into, perhaps we could just uh, go through your backgrounds and uh, an, an overview of the work that you've been doing for the last 30 plus years and, uh, and, and how we connected uh, between uh, River Oaks and LSI. Sean, that sounds great. Thank you for the, uh, for the opportunity to be here today. I'm Tom Dushin and I'm in Colorado Springs. I'm the president of River Oaks Communications Corporation. Bob Dushin, the co-founder, is up in the Denver area and Bob's the vice president of River Oaks. By way of background, Bob and I have had a lot of work experiences that led us to to this telecom consulting business and our working relationship with LSI and with Sean. We attended undergraduate school, graduated from Tulane University, and Bob and I then attended the University of Virginia Law School. And we were very fortunate with both of those experiences. And after graduating from Virginia, Bob and I worked for several corporations, law firms, and business development firm. And in the course of that work, we knew that we were very entrepreneurial. And so that being said, after after about nine years of working with other businesses, which was a great experience, we decided to start our own business. And this goes back, as Sean's indicated, to the late 80s. And we decided the telecom space was where we wanted to head because we thought this was an emerging area. So over the course of years, we have worked on uh, the table cable telecom, I'm sorry, the telecom consulting side. Of, and we partner. We partner with LSI. We partner with law firms. We partner with accounting firms, engineering firms, a PhD. And our work really has, has morphed from cable television to wireless to 5G, broadband, internet, smart city, and doing a lot of work in, in connection with broad, the internet and trying to bring this work to unserved and underserved communities of interest, which from our standpoint is, is very, important, very important because people need access 
to broadband now, it's really, as we all know, it's really become a highway, if you will. It's the highways, it's the education, it's the foundation for people for telehealth, telecommuting, and, and a host of other aspects of their lives. COVID magnified the situation because those who had access to broadband could work from home. Those not or those that needed educational opportunities were really challenged by what was happening here. So we've all collectively all been working through the, the pandemic and broadband now has really come to the forefront as far as what, what can be done there. As far as our relationship with LSI and Sean, this goes back, time goes by, but I'm going to say five or six years. I mean, plus or minus. I, I think say. it's more than that. It could be more than that. And we were introduced actually by Alex Beeler, a classmate of ours at the University of Virginia Law School. Alex became the assistant secretary for the Army and was gracious to, to introduce us many years ago to LSI. And we've teamed with LSI on many projects in Colorado and South Carolina, and we've got a host of host of other projects underway. Bob, any other uh, overview from the from the background standpoint? We're trying to condense it here. Tom, thank you. I would add that our particular expertise is in working with local governments and now states. Over the course of all these years, our work has touched in excess of 500 local governments. Our work now has been focused in addition to the local government work with states. Through the broadband program, the federal government has made monies available through the IIJA to state broadband offices. There are several programs we're gonna talk about today where states can avail themselves of federal money to reach unserved and underserved populations. I would add to what Tom just said, in terms of our continuing relationship with LSI. We've worked with LSI to apply for grants on behalf of Native American communities throughout the United States. We've worked on a host of other projects that are specific in nature, they're targeted. And we, we see many, many opportunities in the future, in the near-term future, i.e. in the present, that we are actively exploring with LSI. And we hope to do a lot of good with LSI for a lot of people in a lot of states. Our work really, even though we're attorneys by background, we come at this from a business consulting standpoint, and that's important. We certainly are very familiar with and are oftentimes brought on as attorneys on projects. From a, from a more global perspective, we are very involved in identifying business opportunities with LSI and then working with people to bring those to fruition, and which is great, which really benefits the clients because we think there's a lot of, lot of good things that LSI and, and River Oaks can do working, working together. And I, one more thing I would add, our work's, our work's covered 40 states in Puerto Rico. So though we're based in Colorado, which is great, we're, we're, we cover a lot of ground and have over the years too. And, and, and that includes rural, uh, rural areas, mid-sized communities, urban areas, suburban areas. It, it, it's really, uh, it, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of space, including a lot of work that's been done with schools too over the years. And we'll talk some more about that. Sean? Uh, if I could add one other thing, Tom. One of the things we admire about Sean and we admire a lot of things is his tireless energy. 
we do our very best to keep up with Sharon. We're working on projects. And I will tell you, uh, he is still out in front. So I wanted to mention that as well. I I don't know about that, Bob, but thank you. Uh, Over the last year, we have worked and, and focused our efforts on what is now the IIJA, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or also known as the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. And we've been anticipating this now for nine months, I suspect, that uh, we, we saw that this move through the House and the Senate, signed by the president, and then uh, have been anticipating that these funds would be released. And just in summary, the IIJA initiative was designed to provide funding for U.S. infrastructure that would also create long-term economic prosperity across the U.S. uh, for disenfranchised communities. And um, the total funding is... Now, $1.6 trillion that the Congress has authorized the Department of Treasury to push this funding to all federal agencies that have a charter for this funding. We've seen some of the money start to trickle out. Uh, Early on, we saw these grants for airport infrastructure and improvements. And, and then interestingly, the broadband initiative has, has been one of the early funding programs that has been pushed. And uh, what I really want to talk with both of you about uh, for the rest of our time is uh, what this looks like, what can states and municipalities be doing now to capture this funding for infrastructure around broadband. The way I understand it, and and you you two are experts on this, but the way I understand it is that there's been about $65 billion that has been allocated for broadband, that it is going to be pushed to the states to administer, and then there will be a competition for additional funding that would include this uh, strategic infrastructure. Did did I get any of that right? <laughs> you did, Sean. Let me let me just uh, <laughs> let me just add to what you said. The money, as Sean has said, is going to go from the federal government to the states. And we're going to divide that into a couple buckets for you today. The first is the what's called the BEAD program. Under the BEAD program, $42 billion is going to be made available to the states and Puerto Rico and the territories of the United States. Now, for the states in Puerto Rico, they will each receive up to $5 million for broadband planning purposes. In order to get that $5 million, they need to affirmatively file a letter of intent with the NTIA, which is part of the Department of Commerce and basically the White House, White House's main designated entity for running this program. 
So here's how it's going to work. Each state will get $5 million for broadband planning purposes, including Puerto Rico. The territories, other territories, will receive approximately $1.2 million, $1.25 million. After their letters of intent are filed, each state is guaranteed, and Puerto Rico, a minimum of $100 million to be received and distributed to industry, local governments, and other key stakeholders. What's going to happen is that the states are going to be competitively pursuing this money. And what I mean by that is $42 billion sounds like a lot, but everyone can do the math. That's more than $100 million per state. So each state is going to, we think, ask for a lot more than $100 million and make their case under the five-year plan. The more persuasive the case, the better chance a state has of getting more than $100 million. Now, this is going to take time. The states have not yet received the $5 million. It's going to take time for the $5 million to get to the states, but this is moving pretty quickly as compared to other federal programs. We're also going to speak with you today about the digital equity program and the middle mile program. But for purposes of our initial discussion, this is what you need to know. You need to be talking with your states. You need to be talking with your state broadband offices. In some states, that's one person. In other states that's that are way ahead of this, they could have five people, FTEs, already there. Tom and I in our organization has been actively involved in talking with states around the country because we don't think the states internally can handle this. They just, they're not staffed up to do this. They don't have the expertise. We've put together a team of organizations that cover the various disciplines that are gonna be needed to effectively put together a persuasive five-year plan. Among our team members are LSI, a nationally recognized accounting firm, two nationally acclaimed broadband mapping companies, firms that do broadband research such as ourselves and others, and other subcontractors. And what you need to know is we think the states need help. They're either gonna RFP this for that help under the BEAD program, or they're gonna try and still source this depending on their own state fiscal requirements. Either way, this is a big job. States have 270 days upon receipt of the initial money, the 5 million, to do their broadband outreach. That sounds like a lot of time. It's not. We estimate conservatively that to reach all the key stakeholders that were involved in the BEAD, NOFO, the Notice of Funding Opportunity, this could take two to 3,000 hours of broadband outreach time. We're talking about educational institutions, the residential community, the business community, other anchor institutions, local and state government, local and local governments, cities and counties. And Tom, let's talk a little bit. And Sean, I hope this is not too much detail before we get into the digital equity piece. But Tom, talk about the broadband maps and how states are going to be allocated this money. Can, sure. can I interrupt for just a second? Just just to before we go into that, Tom, could could I just get clarity on a couple of things that you said, Bob? One is that this initial $5 million funding to stand up the state broadband office, it's a formula grant. However, the states must issue a letter of intent that they are going to pursue the long-term BEAD initiative. Is that what you were saying? 
That's uh, right. That's okay. correct, John. This is snooze and you lose. Okay. So if you're a state and you're interested in the bigger funding, the hundred plus million dollar funding, you must submit a letter of intent to NTIA through the Department of Commerce that you intend to pursue the larger bead funding. That's correct. And that time frame is, yeah, it has been running. The bead NOFO came out on about May 13th. I remember that. And yeah, basically it's, 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 you know, I don't have the exact date, but it's uh, in July, the, the actual date. And yeah. so it's coming up pretty, pretty quickly. And so here's, here's the other part that goes with this is that the hundred million dollars sounds like a lot for each, but it's not because from a geographic standpoint, uh, here, if a lot of those that are unserved and underserved live in either geographically tougher areas to get to, or their terrain issues, or they can be in metropolitan areas as well. And we, we will talk more about this, but there are availability issues, there's accessibility issues, and there are affordability issues. Here's what you need to know. This is, as Sean mentioned, this is a very competitive process. And to we know that there's states out there that are going to be requesting over a billion dollars rather than a hundred million. So the way this works is, is that we don't know whether the federal government is going to wait till everybody does their filings or whether they're going to say, you know, state X has asked for $2 billion. Yeah, yes. And if they agree, they get $2 billion. So we think that $42 billion is going to get used up pretty quickly. And so this is states really have to, they really have to move quickly on this. There, as Bob indicated, there's some states that are way out in front. We can't talk about those by name here, but we're aware of those. We know of other places where a couple, one or two people are trying to get their head around all this. And, and, and you know, they're working hard to, to determine what they need to do. And this is why we encourage states to consider bringing in a turnkey team, LSI, whether it's LSI or River Oaks or the accounting firm or mapping firms. Here's what's happening. The FCC is doing maps right now. And the outreach that Bob referred to is going to be data driven, which goes to the mapping companies that's going to, that are going to input this on different layers on the maps. There's an opportunity for states to push back against the FCC maps. And I say that respectfully, and the FCC anticipates this, to say, no, there's really not $100 million in need out there. There's a billion dollars in need. And here's where the people are. This is not a back of the napkin deal. This is not, this is to be very specific and analytically driven and supportive and defensible. And the better states, the better case that states make for this bead money, the better opportunity that they're going to have to receive more than 100 million. The 5 million Sean referred to, yes, part of that can be used to develop or create a broadband office. What we're seeing a lot of states do is a hybrid. They take some of that money and they use it to staff up, which they need to do with, with people. And they take other part of that money and they use it to bring in consultants to help them develop the five-year plan. The five-year plan is critical as part of the bead NOFO. And integrated into that is the state equity and, diver and diversity 
Sean, can we spend? Yeah, one of the the, the uh, pieces of feedback that we've received is, oh my goodness, sometimes you throw out these acronyms and uh, it's like you're speaking in a different language. Let me just define a few acronyms before we move on. So BEAD, I, tell me if this is correct or not, the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment, is that? That's correct. B-E-A-D. Yes. Okay. And then uh, we also talked about under the Department of Commerce is a organization, uh, NTIA, National Telecommunications and Information Agency or administration. I think that's it. I have to I think that is. And then what? Okay. And then you said NOFO, Notice of Funding Op opportunity. This is, I don't know why we've gone away from requests for proposals, but uh, most of, most agencies are using this acronym NOFO as we're going to issue a notice of funding of what used to be an, an RFP. Okay. Did I miss any no, that's great. <laughs> acronyms? That's great. And, and the thing is, what we would stress to the listeners is that when people hear there's 42 billion, all of a sudden everybody in this country is an expert. And all of a sudden you're going to have consultants and law firms and accounting firms and mapping firms and broadband research firms and everything, everybody never heard of firms who know what they're doing. That's not the case. This, what we've told states where, where we've been actively engaged and seeking to be engaged is that there are a handful of companies that have done this for decades, especially on the mapping side. And you don't want to get somebody who has not done this before and says, yes, we can map the entire state for you. They really have to know what they're doing because the FCC is going to take, and I should say the NTIA is going to take a very microscopic look at the data and decide whether or not the challenges are plausible or not plausible. So the longer a state waits to do an RFP or to decide on outsourcing their sole sourcing, companies don't have infinite bandwidth. Notwithstanding what consultants say generally, they don't have infinite bandwidth. And the really good firms are going to be spoken for by states. And if you wait, and we've told this to states, then we can't guarantee we can get you a mapping firm that we can recommend. Right. And so here's the other part on the competitive side, so you all know. This is just, this is to get the money to the states. Then what's going to happen is for local governments out there, for schools and education and businesses, it's going to be a very competitive process. You are going to need to make a compelling case to the state why you ought to get $5 million or why you ought to get 20, $25 million because you are going to be competing against cities, counties, colleges, universities, community colleges, healthcare, a host of, uh, a host of, of nonprofits potentially too. And, and these are, and, and people have a very, it's a very good story to tell that they have and it's sincere and they need the money. So what's going to happen is we're seeing now cities and counties are starting to develop their own broadband plans and they're very detailed so that they can go to the state and say, here's why we, they think they're entitled to part of the hundred million 
or the one billion, whatever the state ends up with. And that's gonna be a very difficult process for states. Um, our thinking is states may RFP that to, to various entities. Uh, they're just, they, there's, a, there's a plethora of different institutions out there that are hoping to participate, Native American communities. And the, industry, and the industry, and the industry as well. Industry right. very the cable companies. The cable companies are very interested companies. in public-private partnerships, and they're exploring those with, with, with different groups now. So there's a lot that has to be done, and one part is to get the money to the states. Another part is to how the states are then going to decide how they're going to distribute this as well. So we've talked on previous ep- episodes about the Justice 40 element of IIJA. And we've got a a planned episode just around Justice 40 because this is a a big part of of the overall plan for this IIJA funding. And remember when when I defined that acronym of BEAD, Broadband Equity Access and Deployment, that equity is a is a big part of this. So, and you'd mentioned a, a bit of this tribal, uh, you know, and some of the the other entities that are going to receive priority for this funding. So, yeah, let's move into that discussion of digital equity and what exactly that means. Sure. So, so from an overview standpoint, this is in the greater good category, basically. What's what's driving all of this is that from a fairness standpoint and from an accessibility standpoint, the goal is to have all people, regardless of ethnicity, socioeconomic status, religious background, any or all of the above, the idea is that everybody should be connected with broadband and the broadband has to work and work well. The federal government, FCC is defined, it is... 25 down, megabits down, three up. And that's, even if you have that, you fall now in the, and that used to be pretty good for people, but now you're in the un, the underserved category. Right. They'd like to see speeds of at least 100 megabits down and 20, 20 megabits up and hopefully much faster. So what Sean's referring to and ties in is it's what we're calling the state digital equity program. And what happened, this is another funding source. Letters of intent are due on this one in July. And and applications and this right. one. Look, Tom. Let's differentiate for the listeners. This one is not as simple in terms of getting the initial money. States have to file an application. Each state has to file an application by July twelfth, and in that application, they've got to have a narrative as to what their digital equity plan is going to look like. They have to say what the cost parameters are. You have to provide budget information. You have to justify your request for the money. What the federal government has already done is they've allocated certain amounts for planning purposes under the digital equity program to each state and Puerto Rico. And it varies from 500,000 up to say a million five or whatever the number is. The, The gist of this though is that you've got to file an application with all the supporting documentation by July 12th, if you're a state. If you're a territory, besides Puerto Rico, you can do a letter of intent, or if you're a tribal government, you can do a letter of intent. The problem is, if you file and your application is deficient, 
it, this is not a do-over situation. What the what the notice of funding opportunity says is they'll debrief with you why you got turned down. That's well, not a good scenario. That's like a college telling you why you didn't get in. Right. I mean, it doesn't do you much good. Right. Thank you, know, you very much for your application. Growth experience right. is not what you want to hear. And most of those growth experiences get thrown in the trash basket because nobody likes the rejection letters. So what happens is you, you file. And the reason you want to get this initial money under the Digital Equity Act is then you can use that money towards putting together your digital equity plan. For BEAD. For BEAD. For BEAD and for the Digital Equity Act, for both. What's happened is you take the plan you developed under the Digital Equity Act, and that's going to be a standalone document that carves a path for you to get more funding under the Digital Equity Act. It also is inextricably related uh, under, to the under the, under the BEAD program. It's a standalone, but it also goes right. into the BEAD program. And what that's happens right. is mm-hmm. the BEAD NOFO is very specific, that the two are very intertwined. So you can presuppose if you don't have a very strong case for your digital equity program and diversity and inclusion program for unserved and underserved communities of interest, your five-year plan may not get the may not get the uh, welcoming that you were hoping for. So and it, it, it's clear, very clear that they they've got to fit together and be done concurrently. So Sean, to answer your question, a major part of this whole program is to is to serve those who do not have this. We have we've represented schools like K through 12 schools, community college, university, a school for the deaf and the blind and library district for about 24 years. And I'll share with you, here's the real world that comes into play. We've got schools there where over 90% of the young men and women go to college and they have that opportunity. We've got schools where 50% of the students are on free and reduced lunch. We got 70%, up to 70% they're on free and reduced lunch. And what happened is without broadband, particularly during the COVID pandemic, we had kids who had to go, this, our clients had kids, students who had to go sit in a parking lot to do their homework, or they had to go to a library, or they had to go find a hotspot at, you know, at some place. That just doesn't work. It's, it's for teachers and it doesn't work for students. And so what happens is, is that this, this program and there are other funding programs as well, are really designed to help level the playing field. So all people have educational opportunities and telecommuting and telehealth opportunities. And so the social justice piece is, it's it's huge in terms of all this. Right. That's where it goes to a lot of good that could be done for a lot of people. So remember, I, I think it was in the last State of the Union address, President Biden had mentioned this story that, you know, there, there are thousands of kids every night that go down to McDonald's to do their homework so that they can tap into the broadband. And that's, I mean, this is exactly what you're talking about. Sure. Uh, What we would say is also that under the digital equity program, there are, there's another billion dollars available there for, for competing states under what's called a capacity grant program. And then there's a competing grant program. So in addition to the 42 billion, there's another billion here, another billion there specifically targeted for digital equity. As Thomas said, the states need to get this filed. 
to get their initial money for planning, they need to do a really great job. They've got one year after they get that money to do a digital equity plan. That plan needs to be part of the BEAD program where you can actively seek more than 100 million in funding. So although these are separate programs, they are intertwined and it's important for states to do both. We cannot, unless states have an extra 700,000 or million and a half laying around to do a digital equity plan, this is free money but it's not a guarantee you're going to get it. You have to apply for it and your application has to be accepted by the NTIA. So there again, if states want to try and do this themselves, they can. But our thinking is bring in a turnkey team to help you file the initial application. So you get the money, you have a better chance of getting the money and then use that same turnkey team to help you develop your digital equity plan. Right. Additionally, while this is going on, there are other federal programs there, and we're not going to be able to cover them all today, but there's the Middle Mile Infrastructure Grant Program. There's a program through the U.S. Department of Agriculture. There's a program that in some states, they have their own broadband programs that they've set up. There's affordability and affordable connectivity program where providers, to their credit, have been working and I'm talking about the cable companies and you know, companies that provide broadband service. To their credit, they've been working to provide lower cost alternatives so that people can afford to get broadband and internet each month with the assistance of federal government. I will share with you that from our experience, and we're working with a city now to reach unserved and underserved, it's very challenging. And we understand this and we're empathetic because people, for some people, uh, they're concerned about being able to say they can't afford it. There are people out there that have to decide whether they're going to pay rent or get medicine for family members. There are people where that are out there that it's 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 a it, it's a very hard deal for someone to say I just can't afford this, and they've got to decide you know whether to feed their family or get broadband for the student for their children. They, they, these are very real world situations that are out there. There are people with many, many languages in our country. And there are people that that when we reach out for surveys, there are translation issues. There are people with identifying programs dealing with, uh, that the NOFO is very specific about programs uh, that need and and stakeholders to reach out to. And it's a long list. And the supplemental list is even longer. But we think that states and cities and counties and other institutions are going to need to show how they are involving those stakeholders on a meaningful basis in order in order to get funding. So this is the, believe it or not, this is the high level overview. This is not the down in the weeds discussion. And it, it is complex. So if we walk through this in a timeline, so the first thing that the states need to do is, and I said states, it could be it could be territories. You mentioned Puerto Rico. I, I assume the other U.S. territories can participate as well. And if I remember right, they don't get the full $5 million, right? They, they can get up to... 1.25, about $1.2 million, $1.25 million. Okay. And we're talking about the Northern Mariana Islands, Virgin Islands, Guam, Guam. Right. Samoa. And I'm doing these from memory, so I apologize if everyone's not on this list. And and then once they get the 1.25 under the BEAD program, they can get up to 25 million. 
And, tri- and tribe, the tribal entities are under that category as well. If you're a tribal entity, you can get up to 1.2. Um, you know, Sean, I would need to go back and take a look at that. What there is, there is a specific program for tribal entities, you know, and again, that would have separate requirements. So I think that, again, there's so many of these that are out there and they're, right. uh, they're happening concurrently. We would have to take a look at that regarding, and we've got, but if you, if, if you are a, if you are a state, a U.S. territory or a recognized tribal entity you submit this letter of intent you get the initial funding either the five million or the 1.2 million dollars that funding's to be used to build the plan right correct and then to get a piece of this bead funding which has a a floor of at least a hundred million and could be more than that, based on your plan and story, you're going to need to write a compelling proposal based on your plan on what it's going to be used for, how it's going to serve the equity piece of this, the Justice 40 piece of IIJA, correct? And so that's that's complex. That's going to be a complex process to make sure that you, as a state entity, you have the right data, that you have the right story to tell, and that you uh, really understand the disenfranchised populations that you're going to serve with this broadband initiative. Yes. What I would say is that in terms of the tribes, separate them out from the BEAD program to the digital equity program. They can apply for, they can apply into the digital equity program vis-a-vis a letter of intent. That's differentiated from the states that have to do a full-on application under the digital equity program. And as Tom said, there, there are many other, there are lots of other programs and opportunities, for example, for, for the tribes. And so deadlines, I would just say too, all of these have different deadlines and the dates may sound similar, but they're not. So you really need to check each one very, very specifically. And what's going to happen is if you don't, apply on a timely basis, the money's going to go to another state or another territory. That is clear in terms of what's what's happening here. The other part of this is that we encourage you to bring in, this is why we're, one of the reasons we're working with one of the national accounting firms is that you need to show that you need to have accountability. And this LSI does, is very involved in this kind of work we know too. You need to not only check all the boxes for the filings, but you have to make sure that you meet all the requirements. There needs to be accountability. There cannot be fraud. There can't be waste in terms of what happens here. And, and I'm saying it very directly. That's a reason to bring in experts because you've got to show where the money was spent and that it was spent in compliance with these uh, promulgations. And these, these regulations and NOFOs very specifically say money can't be used for X, Y, or Z. Right. You got to make sure that you don't you don't go in the wrong box there. Okay. Yeah, what, what Tom is saying is, let's say your state gets five hundred million dollars. We would encourage you to have a national accounting firm on board to track where that money goes, and to make sure that the money is used for the proper purposes, and to have someone like LSI involved or our team or our firm, because 
let's say you get to 500 million and then you distribute out 500 million. It goes to industry and local governments and schools and nonprofits. Somebody needs to follow up to make sure they spent the money and that you can qualitatively demonstrate that you that what you did had had a good component to it that the end result was that people were unserved or underserved are now in a better position and you know we've got we've got a long history with the department of commerce and i can attest they are going to be have have stringent reporting requirements on status outcome and impact and uh, so having a team that can work with the broadband office to ensure that that uh, reporting is is correct is critical mm-hmm. so l- let me just uh, continue so concurrent with the bead broadband the five million dollar broadband, formula grant, which you just, the states need to commit through this letter of intent, the NOFO response, which will be a formal proposal against BEAD for a minimum of $100 million. Then you've got the the Digital Equity Act that that funding can be used, should be used, strategically should be used for diversity, equity, and inclusion tied to BEAD. That, that is that what you're saying? Okay. Yes. And, and, and to, to Sean's point, when we're talking about digital equity inclusion, we're talking about not just having a cable or a wireless system go by somebody's house. People need to be trained how to and educated how to use a laptop. What can they use the internet for? This is, it's critical that people have the tools to be able to avail themselves of these opportunities. So it's an access issue, it's an affordability issue, it's a training issue, it's an educational component. If this is gonna be a success in our country, then we need to help people be able to avail themselves of, of the opportunity. And it um, needs to be done in a way that makes people comfortable. Right. Because it's, it's, you know, it's embarrassing for people to say, I don't know how to use a, lap, a computer or a laptop. So, and, and yet, it, so it needs to be done. This needs to be done in an empathetic, compassionate way in terms of training people and, and, and educating them to, so that they're aware of opportunities out there when you work with people that are, have socioeconomic challenges, they don't know where the doors are to get to, to walk through necessarily. Now, sometimes that, you know, they do and they've been blocked for all kinds of the wrong reasons, but, but there are times when there, there are a 